Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. In this edition of Hoosology, Justin and Matt welcome the author of the book Fly, the big book of basketball fashion, Mitchell Jackson. Mitchell discusses why fashion is so important to not only the NBA, but the game of basketball at large. Don't want to miss this chat as we go in depth as to really the history of NBA fashion and also how fashion just plays into just basketball culture overall. This is a fantastic chat. And now, Mitchell Jackson. He is the author of the book Fly, the big book of basketball fashion, which is available September 5th. We welcome Mitchell Jackson onto Hoopsology. Welcome, Mitchell. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining the show. And, you know, we're a basketball podcast. We love the game. And as tradition, usually ask our guests, what is your favorite basketball memory or your first basketball memory? Either way, either way you want to take it. Ooh, my first basketball memory, uh, probably, uh, I'm, I'm from Portland, Oregon. And, uh, you know, we're trailblazer fans, obviously. And, uh, my grandfather used to have, um, he had taken my aunt to a, a Globetrotter game and they had given him one of those red, white, and blue balls. And it was a picture of her, I think it was on the court. So they had the picture and the ball on the mantle in his house. I mean, must've been decades that ball was there. So. Um, I was always, I think, maybe a little jealous because I it wasn't me on the court, but I but I certainly remember seeing that ball and I can picture that image, um, and that was probably before I I started playing myself. So I think that's an appropriate segue because the Harlem Globetrotters a lot of style, a lot of flash, and yeah. I think with with basketball culture, the fashion is really underrated, especially compared to other sports. So. What was just the motivation for creating this book, the creative process? Can I walk us through just from just the idea to just getting this book out? I wish I could say the idea was mine. It was not. It was the um, husband of the publisher of Artisan Books. Um, her husband is a really big basketball fan, a New Yorker, so uh, probably a Knicks fan. And uh, had given the idea to her, and she knew my editor. I, I write a column for Esquire magazine, and my editor there and her are friends, and so they knew I had played basketball at junior college and that I love fashion. And uh, he brought it to me. Uh, and it, it just immediately it was something that struck me as, a, as something to write about for me. Uh, my very first published piece of writing was about some of my friends who never made it to the NBA and should have. Um, so, so I've been writing about sports, in particular about basketball, for now two decades. Yeah, wanted to kind of get your thoughts on how. So we have mega stars in the NBA, of course, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. and you do a good job of of outlining. I don't want to give that away in the book, but um, you you definitely emphasize like their impact um, just in pop culture as as a whole. You know, even beyond sports. Um, Looking back, I mean, there there are a lot of fashion moments from 
rookies um, and and from new players entering the league, and maybe they have some sort of status in pop culture, you know, thinking back to like the 60s and 70s from maybe success in college, of course, you know, thinking mm-hmm. of uh, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, for example. I mean, everyone yeah. knew who he was going into the NBA. Do you think there is a similar, I guess, sort of um, like impact that rookies have in the modern day NBA when they come into the league? Mm. I think I think yes, a rookie can have that kind of. Uh, it's hard. Uh, I, I think mean, I, do. I put out the yeah. name Kareem, and obviously, yeah. not a lot of the rookies coming out are are Kareem yeah. for one thing. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so I think yes, I think the the rookies can have impact. I think it's different though. For I, I just was watching the um, some of the um, Will Chamberlain documentary and. You know, he was another kind of Kareem-esque player in that he was very highly recruited. He came in the league. He took it by storm. And so they're there. And I think this is something the book gets into, right? There are these players, right? Those are we're, we're, those are generational talents. So we're, we're not getting I, generational talent, uh, you know, every year. So I would say on the basketball side, it's it's rare that we're going to see that. But I think the thing that the NBA – fashion avenue has opened up is a place where people can be stars without actually being that great at basketball. Well, I should back up and say Mm. anybody that makes it to the NBA is a great basketball player on some level, but as an NBA player, um, I think you can now become a star without being the 11th, the 12th man, the ninth man, the eighth man, you know, like that wasn't available during Kareem's era. Um, And I, and I would argue that, we, we needed the stars in order to kind of crack this thing open because I, I think that LeBron and D. Wade and Chris Bosh and Westbrook were the guys that kind of broke this thing open. And if they weren't mm. stars, I don't think we get here. Gotcha. And when, when you look at the eras, you know, you cover several different eras, all the eras of um, basketball and, and style, the different fashion eras through the league, which was really cool to see how you grouped that. Um, mm-hmm. What were kind of expectations in the early days? I mean, what, was there much thought in it? And you mentioned sort of that evolution over time uh, brought yeah. on by like that big three. Uh, you could say that that was like sort of a maybe watershed moment in, in terms of fashion. But yeah. it, it seems like nowadays, like if, if you're tuning into the NBA draft, part of the conversation is what are these new potential yeah. stars or maybe already stars going to be wearing at that draft yeah early yeah. on was there much thought into fashion i think there may have been thought but i don't think there was the emphasis you know you go back mm. and look at um chuck person uh i can't remember what year he was drafted i think he was before jordan so maybe 82 or something like that and he's wearing a, a tuxedo with a pink cummerbund uh so you know to, to wear fuchsia to your draft night, like you have to put some thought in that. But I mean, mm. I, when was the, you know, the draft wasn't even televised for, for many, many years, right? So they could not have had this kind of output and certainly out impact. And certainly there was no corporatization of what mm. they were doing, right? Like there was no step and repeat boards for them. There was no tunnel walk for them. There was no TV, right? Like them games was on take delay if they made TV at all. So 
True. Just so many things about mass communication and pop culture and um, social media have made it uh, possible for these young people, these young men and young women, right, in the WNBA to do to do what they do. Can you speak to Allen Iverson? He is just an icon in his own right, and I, I want to get your perspective on this because other players in his era are dressing like him as well. But yeah. what made Allen Iverson like the poster boy for kind of that fashion of era, and ultimately the NBA targeting him and you know yeah. creating the dress code because of that? I think Iverson became a cultural figure when he went to jail, right? Like being. I don't, I, I don't know if he was the number one point guard, but certainly he was a, a top-level recruit in high school, three-sport athlete, right? And then when he went to jail, he became almost a martyr figure for, uh, for Black culture. And so when he came out, he was this bigger-than-life uh, phenomenon. And then, he, you know, he did his thing at Georgetown. So when he comes into the league, it's like not only is he dressing this way, but we also suspect him of like living that lifestyle. And I think that was really one thing that Iverson did was he brought, he made the fashion into a culture because he really wasn't doing much different than dudes in the hood, except that he had this bigger platform. And I think he gave um, confidence to the to the other guys of his era to do that. But he also, you know, again, he was more of a cultural figure than them because he was like bigger than basketball in a sense that he had to get a pardon to even be able to play. Right. So, so, you know, if you think about like all the shows that cover uh, like old drug dealers or old um, hustlers from the hood, like all the documentary series, like Iverson is in that. I mean, obviously he wasn't a hustler, but he's in that breath of like, Oh, this is a counterculture figure who gets exalted into mainstream culture and really seems never to kind of all the way buy in or lose track of who he was at any moment. And so I think that's really what made him beloved. And obviously he was also part of an era where you had the ball in order to get the love. So he, he held up his bargain on the ball and in, and then he also held it up as a cultural figure. Um, as a comparison question, who do you think has the bigger influence from a fashion standpoint, Allen Iverson or Jordan? Just in terms of because Jordan, obviously his shoes, or Michael Jordan. Oh, uh, I mean, if we're talking about overall impact, it's Jordan. I mean, you listen to Iverson talk; he says he wanted to be Jordan. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that we've had a a sports figure or maybe even a person in black culture with the impact of Jordan in any arena, right? Like his name, I remember they did that, sur uh, I think it was, a, yeah, survey, maybe in the mid 1990s, like one of those three P runs and Jordan was the most popular person on the planet. He was second only to Jesus, I think they said. So like <laughs> no one has come close to that kind of cultural relevance. Do you think, you know, for both of those athletes, just to carry on with that, this is yeah. pre-social media. Yeah. Do you think, or through your research, did you see anything? Do you, do you think they had a sense of how impactful their, their fashion was? Yes, I do. I think Iverson can clearly see the guys in the mm -hmm. locker room changing. But I can remember, I remember I was in uh, Philly for All-Star Weekend, this is when Iverson was still in, in Philly. And I was at a party 
Uh, I guess it was his party. If it, if it wasn't, he was there. And it's probably a few thousand people in the party. And some reason, he it was levels up. So he was like above all of us, like almost on some kind of ledge, him and his crew. And let's say 2,500 people in that party were fishbowling. Like they were all on this side of the room, gazing up at Iverson, who was doing nothing, drinking, you know, talking to his homeboy. <laughs> and then... Iverson got down and went to the other side of the room and everyone in that place shifted to that side of the room. And I had <laughs> never seen anything like that in my life. Like that's just a, a, a small example of like the kind of impact that Iverson had. And then Jordan, obviously, you know, uh, I used to have a friend that played for the Toronto Raptors and, uh, he got us some really good tickets. They were playing the Bulls on one of those runs. And I was in the second row. And uh, when Jordan was out of the game, I never even watched the game. I just sat and looked at the back of his head and the security guy going, oh, my God, I'm 23 feet away from Jordan. Like, I can't believe <laughs> Like, I was trying to see, like, how is he drinking his Gatorade? Like, <laughs> does he slouch? Does he not slouch? And I just don't think that we have – I mean, I'm sure there's probably some people that feel that way about LeBron, but um, who did I hear? Uh, I heard, so oh, oh, it was some woman was on social media talking about a story, which I won't repeat all the details, but a connection to LeBron. And uh, some one of the comments was like, we, oh, she said, oh, I noticed, I knew, I didn't know anything about LeBron, but I, I recognized his shoes. <laughs> and then a comment was like, that woman is lying because only Hoopers know LeBrons. Like LeBrons are not right <laughs> in the way that, that Jordans are, right? So yeah, there's. I think there are some people who feel that way. Like if you saw LeBron, you would be, you know, astounded. But then the kind of cultural fashion impact. Like I've never bought a pair of LeBrons. Uh, I just bought the same pair of Jordans twice. So if one gets scuffed, I can have another pair. So I want to ask, in, in this current era, it seems like fashion is almost kind of corporized somewhat yes. instead of just kind of for the fun of it. And I just want to ask you, has that kind of ruined it in a way, just in terms of like, you know, we see draft night most recently and it's just kind of like, okay, we see the top 10 picks and what they're dressing like. And it's just kind of like yeah. the Oscars now instead yeah. of like actually the impact for like the culture. Uh, what's yeah. kind of your thoughts on that these days? Well, I think we're in in most areas of American culture. I'll just speak about American culture without making this too big. I mean, we're in late stage capitalism, right? Like everything is a commodity. But I also think the great thing about fashion is it has to remain cutting edge or it's actually not fashionable. So while the, the corporate types can wrap it up in something and, and present it to us, in order to actually be fashionable, you have to know what's next, right? Like you can't be doing what other people are doing. And so it doesn't really matter in that sense, whether it's corporatized, because we're not going to pay attention to the guys that's doing, by the time something gets to be corporate, it's not, it's no longer cool, except that in order to be fashionable, you must be cool, right? So I think it's a way that it's, it's almost a counterbalance to, to each other, right? Like they're gonna do their thing and you still gonna see it in the tunnel and they're gonna make videos and they'll probably have a fashion show, but you won't be a part of that unless you actually know what cool is, which means 
you can't lean too heavily into what everybody else is doing. Otherwise, you're part of the masses and you're not part of the zeitgeist anymore. So I think fashion is safer in that way than a lot of other aspects of culture. Mitchell, from what you've seen maybe behind the scenes, I mean, just going along with this idea of kind of the corporatization of fashion, I mean, is there sort of a game behind the game? Is there like steep competition right now to get athletes to wear certain things? I mean, I know certainly with branding, yes, that's the case, but does that kind of permeate the fashion world as well? I mean, you know, you look at, the average influencer, right? Like how many people does a person need to be an influencer? It seems to me it's like in the, you know, 20, 30,000 uh, followers range, right? And people are mm. posting ads. Uh, but if you get to be an NBA player with, I don't know, LeBron has a hundred million followers and then you go on down to forties. I mean, of course they're, they're going to be courting that. That's an instant, instant, instant audience. So, yeah, I do think that that's really important. Um, but again, I think some of the guys, so, so for the people who are not stars, right, like that, that level of um, income uh, is probably more attractive than, say, someone from LeBron who can make his own decisions, right, who can say what brands he wants to inf influence or not influence, who, who's probably getting a bunch of the free clothes as, a, as opposed to having a stylist have to go out and get the clothes. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's different, different levels of it. And I, I don't, also don't think that we can discount, discount the cottage industry around it, right? Like the stylists and the photographers and the marketing people, right, who are all responsible now for making this thing into, into what it is. Did um, earlier NBA generations, you know, like going back to those examples of, of like Wilt and Kareem, I mean, mm -hmm. at, at that level, did those guys have stylists? And is it, I would assume, far more common to have stylists today, but what is that like yeah. compared to early NBA? Uh, you know, I, I never researched that. Um, I, in the documentary, I saw that Wilt was getting his clothes customized because he had to, mm. right? Kind of hard to find clothes for a seven foot one. I don't think the average NBA players were, were, were using stylus back then. I mean, also think about the, the level of um, finance it would have taken to do that, right? These guys, I mean, they weren't making 47 million, $56 million, right, for, for, for a season. So I think it's also economic. Um, and then basketball players were not necessarily cultural figures at the time. Uh, the vast majority of them, right? Like maybe Dr. J, maybe Kareem, because he got into some of the political stuff. But I mean, it was a lot of, remember when they were telling him shut up and play? Like it was a lot of shut up and play in the 60s and 70s um, for the vast majority of players. And then the ones that kind of spoke up, right? The Kareems and the uh, Muhammad Ali's, they, can, they became cultural figures, but that was such a small um, cross-section of, of, of athletes. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they they didn't have the resources. And I also think that the industry didn't, you know, they weren't the purveyors of cool in the way that NBA players are now. Well, I think the NBA players are probably on par with musicians and with Hollywood people now in terms of what's cool uh, and what and what kind of impact they have. What was the most surprising or um, difficult challenge that you experienced making the book? 
Mm, uh, the, the, I think the, the initial difficulty was figuring out what the errors were going to be. Uh, initially, I was talking to the editor and I just wanted to do decades, like, you know, seven decades, going to be seven. And then he said, no, I feel like that's too arbitrary that decades don't really define the era. And so if you look in the opening, I even say that, right? Like they don't, a decade is kind of an arbitrary marker, but like, if you say this is an era, then you have to pick a beginning and an end. And, and how do you do that? Like, what are the influences? So really that was the historical um, research. And then, you know, just the difficulty of bookmaking is, well, sometimes you can't get the image you want. And then how do you get the next image and, and dealing with that? And for me, I had never wrote captions. So I was resisting writing even the captions. And then I kind of got into it at the end where I was writing captions like I was writing regular text. So, uh, I mean, people will read this book or pick this book for, for pictures, probably, mainly. Uh, and some people will, like read it because they want to know about the culture. But for me, I'm a writer, you know, like I'm a trained writer. I'm a professor of creative writing at a university. And so for me, the language and the way that I'm describing this is just, if not more important as those other elements of the book. And so I hope some nerds pick it up and say, oh, I really love the opening of this book because I love the language, too. Yeah. And as as a reader, I, I'm glad that you didn't go by the decades because I like to see you know, what you picked is kind of those, those yeah. moments that changed the era. I mean, I think that yeah. that's one of the more fascinating things to, to look at and see, um, mm -hmm. you know, your, your thoughts on that. Um, wanted to ask, I, I can't resist there, mm -hmm. a big part of basketball over, I don't know, the past five plus years. I mean, really, um, you know, with, uh, the advent of social media and everything, of course, like we've mentioned earlier. I mean, a, a big thing has been the pregame walk-ins. It's provided yeah. endless content for inside the NBA on TNT, yeah. you know. I, yeah. I have to ask, with, you know, thinking, Justin and I were talking earlier about, you know, Kyle Kuzma, like, walking in in a, in a giant pink sweater. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, I, what, what are your thoughts on when something like that happens? I mean, is a guy just trying to buzz on social media? Like this, does he yeah. know exactly what he's doing? What, what's going on? With Obviously. That yes. Yeah. Yes. Everyone <laughs> is trying to create, not everyone. There are some guys, I think what we're seeing now are the guys who really are pushing towards that and want to create those cultural moments. Like I think about surges and his big scarves and, yeah. some of the stuff that Jordan Clarkson does. Um, but then there are the guys that just come in in the, in the, in the team sweatpants and, the, you know, like they, they went all the way the other way. So I think we're, we're seeing that, but certainly those guys who are always on league fits in the top, you know, three rounds or not three rounds, uh, players, of, uh, most fashionable players, like those guys are looking for moments, right? They, they understand that, uh, with the right outfit, there's the chance of virality. And so uh, that pushes dudes to do some crazy stuff. Uh, starting with, I would say, I don't even know. Because I, I, I would say that Rodman was doing that, right? Like Rodman was creating yeah. those viral moments before we even had the idea of what was viral, right? Look at him at the MTV Awards, right? Or look at him on his wild trip to Vegas or when he when he wore the dress to his book signing, right? Like, Rodman understood that. And I think these guys are actually taking a lot of 
pointers from from Rodman in terms of like how to grab the attention. Different in this era, right? Because it's it's also harder to be shocking, right? Like Rodman wore a skirt, everyone was like, oh my God. And now the skirt is a part of a you know regular fashion ensemble. Which is interesting because he kind of and and correct me if I'm wrong, but he kind of took advice on that from Madonna, right? Who was also, yeah. <laughs> you know, a, a cultural well, a pop icon. star, right? Like a pop star would know right. how to grab our attention. And these guys really are pop stars now, right? Like if we say what's a pop star, it's a person who is uh, popular and is well-known in our culture. And that's what NBA players are, right? Like I think PJ Tucker is an, an interviewee in this book. And I think PJ Tucker is a very good example of the kind of player that I'm talking about, right? Like, PJ is a good player. He's a starter in the league, but I don't think anyone is saying PJ Tucker is a superstar, but outside of that, PJ Tucker is on the covers of magazines. He's front row at fashion week. He's getting sneaker collaborations, designing glasses, right? Like all of that was not available to a player of PJ Tucker's caliber, even 10 years ago. Mm. Can you give us your thoughts on Russell Westbrook as well? I mean, kind of along the lines, he's he's had moments where, of course, he's gone viral and maybe um, inside the NBA in particular, maybe they went over the top with it in some uh, respects, yeah. but also has had plenty of moments where he, he's obviously very fashion savvy. Uh, yeah. Can you give us your your thoughts on just kind of how he's impacted NBA fashion and, and really pop culture fashion? Yeah, I think um, Westbrook is, again, I think he's in the vein of um, Dennis Rodman in, in that he figured out that the shocking outfit was going to be um, his calling card. I think he also had the benefit of being a better, I don't know if he's a better player than Rodman because Rodman does have all those titles, but certainly he's a you know an MVP, right? So he was doing this at the same time he was a top 10 player in the league. And so I think that also uh, can't be um, discounted. I think Westbrook, a lot of what he does is he gives us the, 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 the looks that are kind of intangible to the common person, right? Like you look mm -hmm. at Westbrook and you're like, I can see that something is fashionable, but I don't know if I would wear that to a lounge or to the club or, and so I think there's that aspect of him, but I think of late because of honor the gift that he's kind of tamed some of his looks because he wears so much of his own clothing line and he wants that to become like a mass successful line. So, so it's not so much craziness going on, I think with Westbrook now, but prior to that, I would say he was taking a page out of um, Rodman's book. And I would say that he inspired dudes like, uh, Kelly Oubre and and and, and Clarkson uh, and and um, uh, Kyle Kuzma, right? Those guys are like, man, I will put on anything uh, if it means that uh, people are going to pay attention to it, and it's working. Kuzma got a fat contract, and he was all in Paris all true. summer. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally true. Um, through your research, do you foresee a 
an NBA athlete having um, an influence in the fashion world when they retire, similar to Kobe when he went into film and movies mm. um, through this through your research. Do you see anybody kind of, you know, taking that mantle in the future, like going full into fashion, like with Westbrook, do you see him fully going into this, the fashion industry or if there's, who do you see kind of making that full switch once they're done? Well, Westbrook certainly hopes it's him with honor the gift. Um, I have, not seen it in terms of my own sense of fashion. Like, I don't know if that's uh, a, a route that, that I would go. Um, I think it will be difficult for a player to break in in terms of owning their own brand because so much of fashion is heritage and legacy. And so when we think about the European brands and, you know, LV or uh, Celine or Alexander McQueen, like those are brands that have been around anywhere from 40 years or 30 years to hundreds of years. So, and they have that story, which is why people are willing to pay so much money for them. So I think to break in with a brand new brand and to create that sense of luxury, right? And I think that's a harder thing. I think if, a, if an NBA player did what Pharrell did, which, I mean, obviously he started his own brand, but if they went and studied, like say they did what Kanye did when he went to uh, Paris and, and interned, right? I, I think that there, it's possible that someone could do that and become part of an established brand, right? Like be a Virgil Abloh or something like that. I think that maybe if a, if a player retires and they're really interested in doing that, I can see that happening where they're, they, they kind of come into an established brand and help guided but just breaking in like i don't know if we have a jerry lorenzo fear of god person in um the nba but i say that i don't know if anybody could have predicted that fear of god would do what it did so these guys are also people who do the impossible so you know who am i to say that it can't be done i just am not the visionary that's seeing it right now mitchell uh go ahead matthew another question yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to ask, because um, you mentioned it earlier, fashion all all about being what's next. Do you have any predictions where trends are going right now? I mean, is it going to get less controlled? Um, mm -hmm. Where where do you see trends, you know, down the next couple of years or so? Man, it's really hard. Uh, I, I think we got to look at what's happening in the culture. Right. So what's happening now is we got a rogue Supreme Court taking away rights. Um, we have an impending recession. <laughs> we got a climate crisis. Um, I mean, I'm in, I'm in Phoenix and, and we have the record for days over 110 degrees. Um, so I, I, I can see somehow that influencing the fashion, whether that's in the fabrication, whether that's in where people are sourcing their materials, whether we, we actually get back to the, the slogans and stuff that we had in 2015 with Black Lives Matter. Like, I think the, the culture is going to insist that the fashion change. Um, I don't know what it means, right? Because I, I think hip hop is really good at showing us uh, what's next and also the, the possibilities, right? So hip hop is still caught, in, not only caught, maybe not the right word, hip hop is still invested in this idea of ultimate luxury, right? We still all, like hip hop really hasn't changed since Diddy on the yacht, mm. right? And so maybe there's a way in which 
this next generation turns away from that, where they start wearing, you know, vintage clothes or the ostentatiousness, like they're talking about um, quiet luxury, right, for the really rich, wealthy white people. Maybe hip hop turns more towards quiet luxury, right? Then since since we're you got to turn away from something in order to be cool, right? Like you can't just keep doing the same thing. So if we look at what's happening now with this high level of ostentatiousness, the big jewelry, the watches that cost five hundred thousand dollars, the really vibrant colors, like it has to in some way turn away from that. Now it'll be very interesting to see how um, it evolves. Mitchell, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Please let our audience know where they can find you on social media. Again, when the book comes out, any other projects you're working on as well? Yeah, uh, well, you can find me on social media at Mitch S. Jackson, M-I-T-C-H-S Jackson, J-A-C-K-S-O-N. That's on uh, you know Instagram, it's on Twitter. My website is my name, MitchellSJackson.com. Um, I'm working, I, I do short form stuff. So I'm working on a profile for Esquire. Um, I'm working on my next column tomorrow and uh, I have a long book project. I'm a novelist by training. So I'm working on a, a novel about a, a basketball player um, who becomes a cult leader. Um, so I would say, look out for that, except wow. that we're talking about some years away. <laughs> <laughs> the meantime, uh, you know, I have two books in the world, an essay collection, a novel, um, another collection of essays. So uh, there's there's plenty of stuff to keep you busy while I work on this novel. Fantastic. Thanks for spending some time with us. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Hoopsology presented by Boss Life. If you have comments or questions about this episode, please email hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Also, leave us a review on iTunes and follow us on all social media platforms.